0: To see things from a different perspective here, so yeah, we're just taking our little time, all right. Um, but let's uh, let's get started tonight. We're going to begin in verse number six. We're going to be looking at day number two, all right. Day number two tonight, the evening, the morning. We're the second day once more. We're going to see how God is set up twenty-four hour literal days. We do not believe in evolution. We do not believe in uh, the millions and billions of years. And if you want more details as to why. I'll point you kindly to the first few verses of this book that says, in the beginning, God created. You know, God does not need millions and billions of years to create. He speaks and it happens. God is powerful enough to not have to need uh, millions and billions and all of these things that science teaches. And I would tell you this as well, that much of the scientific facts that are taught to our children, and grandchildren, to my generation as fact, it is still yet a theory. Something that is a theory means that it is not a theory fact and so to teach a theory as fact is to teach an in indoctrination and in propaganda and as well I would go so far as to say a religion um, that is what's being taught in our schools it is a religious faith system to believe that there is no God and that all this happened by chance I would say that it takes more faith to be an atheist tonight than it does to believe the Bible uh, they are not lacking faith they are full of it but they are full of faith in themselves and their own theories, and their own ideologies. And so ultimately they worship themselves, or they worship the devil and his lies in this. But tonight, I'm thankful that we can see a God who speaks and it's done. Who creates by His will, by His power, by His authority. He does so even for His own glory. And as we're going to see tonight how the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Everything should declare. Everything is for the glory of God. Now, verse number six. I'm going to read verse six, seven, and eight for us to understand the whole day of day two. And then we're just going to work our way through it and just um, try to understand it better tonight. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament, and the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. How many of you love to use or continuously use as a daily vocabulary the word firmament. Anyone? Me, me either, right? We don't use that word too often, do we? This is going to be the key word of the night, firmament, right? And you can try to say it three times fast, really quick, firmament, 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 firmament right? You can kind of stutter a little bit. The word firmament, though, we're going to deal with is going to understand that word is going to help us understand what happens on day two. Every other day seems a little bit easier to understand, right? God made light and dark, and and here, what does God make? What does firmament mean? What does the dividing of the waters, that doesn't sound like creation, but really what he's going to be doing on this day, on day two, is a day of demonstrating his power and authority over dividing the waters from the waters that were already there. Look at back this. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters we find there's waters but we go where do these waters come from what are they what do they look like all this stuff uh, we're going to see and address a little bit of what the waters look like the importance of it um, over the next few verses maybe not tonight we might not get to it but water plays an important role number one we're made up of mostly water two you need water to drink um, if not you will die right you can go from my understanding now somebody smart in here tonight can Please correct me, but I believe you can go longer without food than you can water. Is that right? Most of y'all are in agreement, right? Someone test it out and then let us know how it goes, okay? <laughs> not it, right? I'm not volunteering, right? Now, here the word firmament, it is a noun. It is the word rakia, rakia. It is uh, related to the verb rakah. It literally has an understanding and gives the picture. Now, remember, this is Hebrew, all right? You and I don't speak Hebrew, We have to really study to understand it, and I'm not that good at it. If you want to know how to pronounce these words, try your best, and then add some phlegm, and then you've got Hebrew, okay? That's normally it. That's the golden rule here. But to understand the picture of it, the Hebraic language is much of pictures. It it, it makes much and brings these things to mind. Many of the words are very broad in its understanding, as we'll see even with this word translated as firmament, okay? Um, But it has the understanding or picture of a beaten metal plate or bow, a firmament that is firm or the vault of heaven. It is something that is stamped, something that is crafted, something that separates, something that serves a a purpose. And so it is translated in uh, many of the modern English translations today as the word expanse. Now, when you hear something as expanse, we think of the word expand. Now, that's a little bit of the idea of firmament. But we're going to see that that doesn't quite serve it justice, okay? Uh, We're going to see that it is much more than that. But look here, he says, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, let it divide the waters from the waters, and then he gets into verse number 8, and God called the firmament heaven, in the evening, the morning, or the second day. If you read verse 8, do you question and go, I thought he already made heaven? I do. He says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. So which day and when did he make heaven? What is heaven? We're going to answer that tonight, but the the statement of uh, verse one one in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You know what that does? It's a broader statement for the rest of chapter one and two. It is saying God created the heaven and the earth, and then verse two through the end of ch- through verse two of chapter one through the end of chapter two is going to say, and here's how He did it. And here's what that looked like. Here's the details. Verse one says. God did this, right? Everything that is in heaven, which heaven, as we're going to see, is everything that is visible and invisible, right? Whether it be thrones or domains or principalities or powers, all things are made by him and for him, right? There was nothing created without him, right? By him, all things consist, hold together. Then we find the rest of Genesis 1 and 2 is going to say all these details. Here's what happened on day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6, day 7. And then we're going to get into chapter two, which is going to give some more of the details about some of those specific days. God does this for a greater purpose. He is showing this is who I am. I'm revealing myself to you so that you know everything that you see or don't see, I made it. Everything that you understand and the many things that you don't understand, I made it. I created it. Now, uh, it is interesting. I want to Turn with, uh, turn with, well, I'll just do it for you. You don't have to. I'll be nice, see? You can't say I did something nice to you today, okay? Psalm 19, verse 1 tells us this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Now, that is an often quoted psalm. It, it shows us the importance that the heavens themselves declare the glory of God. The heavens, meaning that which is visible or invisible, it declares the glory of God. Why? Because anything that is created declares His glory. I want to give you an example. Uh, if there's someone who is a artist, right, and they paint, we'll just say like a, a, a flat rock and they paint beautiful scenes on it, right, and then they lay it outside of a church somewhere for people to take. I don't know if you've ever heard of that but or not, but it happens here, okay? <laughs> it's someone there gets a little bit of credit for that. Why? Because you see, someone took the time to to sculpt, to make, to create such a thing. And so God gets the glory. Why? Because he's the one that spoke and formed and fashioned all things, even the great things that we don't understand, which, according to science, science is around this one, we don't understand much of which we think or wish we did. It has often been said, I believe, that we know more about outer space than we do, even our own oceans and the depth. It is startling to imagine the depth of knowledge that is out there that we don't grasp or understand. Yet God knows all because God is the one who made these things. Now, here, the the real thing that is taking place here is that God is going to be taking this day to and is not going to be necessarily making one particular thing, but he's going to be making a whole lot of the laws of the universe. And he's going to be expanding the universe and going to be expanding what we see and preparing the earth for the next few days of creation, where he's then going to start putting things there in place, ultimately for the peak point of man to enjoy and to cultivate and to to rule over. Now, uh, I have here for you one commentator writes, when the light had been separated from the darkness and day and night had been created, remember that was day, day one, there followed upon a second fiat of the Creator, the division of the chaotic mass of waters through the formation of the firmament, which was placed as a wall of separation. Remember that idea of the word rachia in the midst of the waters and divided them into upper and lower waters uh, from uh, to stretch, spread out, uh, then to beat or to tread out. It means expansum, them, the spreading out of the air, which surrounds the earth as an atmosphere. What takes place on day two when God says, and let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters is he's now in the process of saying, I'm going to move this here, move that here and prepare this. So that way there's going to be this expanse. And he's creating literally the the atmospheric pressure, the way that the world works. He's creating everything that's going to be preparing itself for the rest of creation. Notice that there is no life yet here on the earth that's made. There's nothing living yet. We haven't gotten there. That's coming in the next few days. And so as God is preparing for life, that's what he's doing. Life shows how important it is that God spends two whole days of creation where all he does is prepare long before he even makes life. And so in him still is life. He has not yet breathed out life unto any living creature, whether it be plants or animals, let alone mankind. But God is preparing for that ultimate time, preparing for that that day. So the earth then, it is also not the earth now. I know you because I know me. We want to know all the details of Genesis, know exactly every little detail, every little thing, and go, how did all this happen, right? Well, here's the thing. We don't have brains large enough to understand everything, but I do know this. The way that the world was then is certainly not how it is now. You go, how do I know? Well, because... About 2,000 years after creation, sin is going to be so rampant that God is going to destroy it by a worldwide deluge flood. That's really going to shift everything in the entire world. It's going to shift the whole thing. I believe firmly that the way the world looked before the flood, right? Um, it's often referred to as the, the antediluvian, um, these people before the flood, before this deluge. I believe that everything looked different and it, it, it operated maybe even a different way now uh, the flood changes things why because sin changed everything earth before the flood is different than today because the sin and the flood would change life as we know it in the world as we know it it has been said here that this expanse or this firmament that god has created and divide the waters from the waters and these atmospheres and all these things uh, one author who is uh, very famous in, in a lot of the theological world about... Uh, he's one of the early creationists, if you will. Um, he, he developed many of these things. His name was Henry Morris. Henry Morris and others suggested in the early 1900s, mid-1900s, that the earth had a canopy or blanket of water that created an environment that gave continuously pleasant weather, no rain, but rather due to water the lush vegetation and a great amount of water to create a deluge during the Noahic flood, meaning this, that this firmament is the idea that he believes is creating a sort of canopy uh, of cloud above that is almost making this sort of greenhouse for the world that keeps it at a good constant temperature. And I I believe that there might be some merit to this, only because when we look at the Garden of Eden, we know that it is a type of paradise. Now, there was a book written long ago, uh, well, not too long ago, but, but years ago that talked about paradise lost and paradise found. It is the idea that in Genesis we find paradise is established, but paradise is lost. What the world was supposed to look like, what the Garden of Eden... Anyone ever been in the Garden of Eden? Me either. Anyone know where it is? Me neither. But it's said to have been in the Middle East during this time, based upon the rivers, somewhere in there. However, what we do know is it's no longer there. That sin had brought forth its corruption, and ultimately the world as it was supposed to be gets turned into what it's not supposed to be. Things are not supposed to be this way. However, sin has corrupted all these things. So one day when we get to then Revelation 22, we find paradise found again. Well, we find paradise once more in eternity where it is an eternal city, an eternal new heavens and new earth where dwelleth righteousness, where there is no more curse. That's why it's paradise. The reason why the world is not paradise today is because there is a curse upon literally not just mankind being born in sin, but upon the earth itself. That's why you can recycle. I, I, we even recycle, only because the city gave us that big blue tin, right? But we, we do it, right? And you can try to conserve many things, take care of the earth as best you can, but guess what? One day it's still going to die. There's only but so much we can possibly do. Why? Not because there's too many of us and we should kill ourselves off. Not because we're using too much gas or oil. Nah, keep pumping that stuff out of Alaska and Texas, right? Quit buying it from everywhere else, okay? But God has given us resources that we need. However, what we find is that there is a curse, so it's not going to stay. It's not going to survive. Now, Morris believed not only that it had this continuous weather, but as well that there was no rain uh, before the flood. And I believe that has some merit because when we talk and see, we could only imagine through reading the... The flood account in Genesis 6 through 9, the issues of people seeing rain for the first time, could you imagine how frightening that would be? How frightening uh, that here's this giant boat that this man for 120 years has been hammering on, beating on, and, and preparing, and saying, rain's going to come, a flood's coming, and everyone's going, baloney? We've never seen rain before. Why would it happen now? Why are you even building that big old boat? What are you talking about? No, you're crazy. And then rain starts to come down a little bit, right? For the first time, like us southerners, they smell the rain, right, before it's there. And they go, I haven't smelled this before. They start to see the rain happen, and then literally a, a canopy, as Henry Morse describes or believes it to be, comes literally crashing down upon them and destroys the, the world and changes it forever. It, it would certainly be frightening. It would certainly be uh, rattling and life-changing. And then we find this, though, whether Morse is right or wrong, I know this, that it, the idea of understanding how the world exactly was before the flood is a lot like understanding what it's going to be like in the book of revelation we can understand about that much as much the lord allows us but there is still yet much mystery and i know this i am more confident in god because there is some mystery because that means i don't know all that there is to know and i could keep digging and diving and god still says well i'll let you learn some more but you're never going to reach the bottom you're never going to reach a point where you know exactly what I've revealed or exactly what I know, because if we knew all that God knows, we wouldn't need faith, we wouldn't need to trust in him, and nor would he get the glory out of us honoring and saying, Lord, you said what you said. Now, does that take away and say, well, then that leaves room for science here to be right on this? I don't believe so. What God has said, God has said. If you wanted us to know all the little fine details in between and have all of our questions answered, he certainly would have told us. And by the way, all the questions that you've got, Go ahead, throw them in there. I'll try to answer as best as possible. But if you think you've got a question that you're going to wait to get to heaven, I don't think you're going to get to ask it. Because I think when we reach heaven, it's not going to matter if we said, hey, Lord, what in the world did firmament really mean? Because Pastor Joe confused the mess out of me that night. I don't know what in the world it meant. Would you tell me? I don't believe it's going to matter then. I believe one instant that we go and we go from here, this paradise lost to the paradise found, it's not going to matter what we thought. It's not going to matter. Lord, was Henry Morris right or was Pastor Joe right? Which one? I don't think we're going to ask those questions. Now, as we move through here, I do want to address what the firmament is not. Understanding what something is not helps us to understand what then it is. Okay. So as he says, let there be a firmament. Notice how many times he says, okay, firmament. Then he says in verse 7, firmament. And then he says it again in verse 7, firmament. And then in verse 8, firmament. Firmament. So what is it not? Well, the word, as we've said, rachia, that the rakia, or the firmament, is simply the earth's atmosphere alone. That's not the case. There are those who made the argument that um, what God makes here is just the earthly atmosphere. He makes oxygen, and he makes all that stuff to where you know we can have life. He makes the place go, well, that, that's somewhat true. He does make that, but that's not it by itself. Then is it this, that the expanse, or the firmament, or the rakia is a hard shell covering the atmosphere over a flat earth? That's not quite the case either. There are many who say, I believe in a flat earth. Flat earth theories, by the way, are huge right now. Um, if you want to prove a flat earth are wrong, ask them to prove it by pointing you to the globe. Right? Y'all ever seen a globe in a classroom? Right? Does it look flat to you? No, because it's not flat. Why? Because the earth's not flat. If you want more proof, ask Caleb to take you up on a plane. <laughs> ask him to take you up real high, and you know what's going to happen? You're going to see the earth starts to curve, right? It don't just drop off. It's not just flat. It doesn't make sense logically. Um, Furthermore, Scripture goes on later to say and discussing its roundness, its shape, the way that the Lord holds it and spins it. And so here, the firmament is not just a hard shell covering because remember the word rakia goes back to something that is beaten metal plate or something that could even be held or stamped out, right? So there are those who believe... God makes a, this flat earth and then covers it up in just a big old shell, right? Kind of like, like that turtle we're talking about. Then there's others that say that the waters above the raki, or the firmament, are the clouds in the atmosphere or a vapor can, canopy at the top of the atmosphere, which would be used to ultimately come down and bring all this rain for judgment. has some merit, but that's not the only thing that it is. So what is the firmament? Well, the word firmament goes a little bit deeper. It goes a little bit further. It shows that the firmament is at least these two things. One, that the atmosphere in which the flying creatures and planes fly and reside. What's about to be created in the next few days, um, just a few short verses, are birds. Matter of fact, we're going to see over in verse uh, 20. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Notice that word, firmament? It's the same word, by the way, used over here. And so it shows us that it is certainly the expanse of the earthly atmosphere where birds would fly. And by the way, those fowl of the air, those winged creatures, are not just birds, doves, ravens, hawks, eagles, whatever, cardinals, birds like that. You know what else are those winged flying creatures? Pterodactyls. Y'all ever heard of ter- pterodactyl, however you want to say it with the silent P there? Pterodactyls, di- flying dinosaurs. Um, it's even believed that dragons were very real, right? You say, well, well I have no baloney. Dragons have been found, skeletons and these things. And so as we've seen from the flood, the world has certainly changed. I have not seen a, a dragon around here in Carroll County. I've seen four-foot lizards maybe, but not, not a big old dragon. But they, they could be around, who knows? But we know this, these winged creatures. So what God is doing on day two is preparing for what's coming day four, day five. He's preparing for life to exist in that place. Why? Because life gives God glory. That's the real key of Genesis. It's the real key of all scripture. Why? Because from Genesis to Revelation, we find the key of life, that God gives life because God gives life. It has purpose. And that means life from conception, life to death. That life gives God glory in every stage of life. That it's meant for the glory of God. And that it does give glory to God. Why? Because the creatures declare His glory. The heavens declare His glory. The life that is in all these things gives glory to God. And that our life as well should reflect because we are made in the image of God and that we too give glory. The second thing that we find that the firmament certainly is is the expanse of the outer space of the universe. It is that God then divides and says, okay, water's going to be here, and water's going to be boom. This great canopy that I believe is not just covering the earth, if you will, but rather the universe itself. Now, scientists say that there's water out there. You've heard them say that there's even signs of water on you know, other planets, but we haven't quite gotten there yet. We don't know how that water got there. They talk about it on Mars. Mars is the big one, right? They say, okay, we went to the moon, now we want to go to Mars, okay? Mars, that's the big shift. Matter of fact, I believe they're even trying to plan one for about 10 years out to try to get there. Um, Anyone signing up to be the first one, right? Nope. If you want to go to Mars or someplace like that, like this foreign world, you could probably just drive out of the county and experience a whole lot, right? But Mars, is. that's the key there. They say, uh, well, there's signs that there once upon a time used to be water there. Well, maybe there was. How did it get there? We don't know, but we do know this, that God divides and separates these waters. And this expanse, this word firmament, is showing a division, not just on the earth between the waters and the atmosphere, but as well as the rest of the universe. How do I know? Because you follow the rest of the Genesis chapter 1 account, and what takes place is we're going to find that then God says, as I'll just read through here. Right? We're not going to address all of it tonight, but it says, and God called the dry land earth and the gathering together, the seas, water. He called seas, and God saw it was good. God said, let it bring forth grass and herb yielding seed and the fruit tree. And, and, and he moves forward. He goes in the evening and the morning with the third day. Then we get to the fourth. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven. That same word firmament, the expanse, the division, the creation, the stamped out space of the heavens. If we could say anything is created or done on day two, it is that the heavens are divided And declared, the heavens are separated. This is where we come now. There is the divisions of the heavens. When we see the word heaven in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The word heaven there is using as a threefold. Now, why is it threefold? Well, because it's Elohim, who is the triune, thrice holy God, who is doing such. This uh, usage of the three, it is that showing a a, a perfection and a, a, a working together. It shows a greater purpose. And so we find here this heaven, this word heaven, that God rules over all heavenlies. So does that mean that God rules over what happens in our universe? Yes. Does that mean that God knows what happens and is in control of what happens in our atmosphere? Yes. I don't believe that there's a single hurricane, tornado, or storm that happens that God doesn't know about. God certainly does. But what are we told later on about uh, about Satan that he's called then the prince and power of the air. The air is often referenced to that which we see in our atmosphere, in our our world. And so because of sin, it's given over that for a season that Satan might be able to to have some uh, rule, but only Satan can do what is allowed of by God. You want proof? Go read Job. He can't touch Job or his family until he gets permission from the Lord himself to do such. And so we find that the, the devil himself is, is on a leash, if you will. He can only go as far as God allows him to go. And now then we find that those these heavenlies, that God not only rules that, but he rules all throughout. These three heavens we're going to address, and we're going to have some Bible flipping fingers on, so I hope you brought them with you, okay? First of all, the first heaven, an understanding firmament. It is the atmospheric heaven. This is our immediate earthly atmosphere. This is where the birds fly, the the flying creatures, the airplanes, this is what we can see. This is the blue sky that we see today. This is where the clouds are. This is where the beauty that we can see. And, and it certainly is beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful in the day because we see the, the clouds and the sunshine and the, and the blue sky and we see the clear air. I love it after a storm or, or after a, a snow, the day after a, a good snow, what do you see? It's as clear as can be. And, and then we find even at night in this atmospheric heaven. But We find in the day that God shows us, the blue and the clouds to show his his power and his glory and this firmament that he's created, dividing. Notice, even the, the blueness of the sky, almost picturing the blueness of the waters of which he's divided. He's going, boom, you up there, you down here. We find then as well, though, at night, that he divides it yet still to show us then what he creates to stick up in the rest of the heavens, what we would call the heavenlies or the cosmos, the, the luminaries of the night sky, the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, the Milky Way, which we're in, and as we've talked about, we're one spiral galaxy out of hundreds of billions times hundreds of billions of galaxies. Even ones that have not even been discovered. And We've talked about how scientifically you could literally step outside tonight if the moon was out and you could look at one spot in the moon. And if you could see where the moon is covering the whole night sky, that in and of itself would be a billion plus galaxies. It's mind-boggling to think about how small we are, and yet God looks upon and knows our life, knows our hearts, and cares for us. And that God made all those things by His power and for His glory. And He does so, so that we might know Him. Because the heavens declare His glory. The heavens are used to point us to the Creator. However, the issue that's going to happen later on in Scripture, and even today, is that these heavenly things that He makes and the creation that He makes That there are those who twist it and worship the creation or the creature rather than the creator. That's the world in which we live in today. Now, uh, I want to turn in just a few pages in Genesis chapter 6, verse number 7. This is going to give us the first, um, I'm going to give two for each one of these heavens, if you will, the three heavens, this division that he gives. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 7. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it penneth me that I have made them these the creeping things, the fowls of the air, meaning this is where they live. This is their place. This is where they reside. And then we find uh, over in James uh, five eighteen, 18, the opposite end of the scripture. James five eighteen 18 says, uh, this is James talking about Elias or Elijah, who, Uh, was a man subject to like passions as we and prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth but a space of three years and six months. That's a long time. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. We find that the prayers of Elijah, the prayers that are given there, that the heavens open. What heavens? The atmospheric heavens to pour out this rain. Why? To then give life once more to the earth rain water it is used as judgment but is also something that gives life there's a paradox in what god does to show us that only god can operate in such a way now, you and i can't fathom that how water is able to destroy but yet give life you know those who have gone in the flood right not just the great flood but even the recent floods that we've seen the lives lost through these great storms that have come through the towns destroyed we've seen the power of water but yet, as we literally walk around, we find the power of water as well to give us life. We find that first heaven, this first firmament, if you will, the division of it is the atmosphere. Then we find the celestial heaven, the celestial heaven. The celestial heaven is what we refer to as the stellar cosmos, the heavenlies, including all of these galaxies we've just talked about. I want to give to you several verses, or rather a couple of verses for this. Psalm 148. Psalm 148. Psalm 148, verses 1-6. through The psalm opens and begins, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise ye Him, all His angels. Praise ye Him, all His hosts. Praise ye Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all ye stars of light. Praise Him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For He commanded, and they were created. And He hath also established them forever and forever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. What truth is found to show the mightiness of God that He divides the water? Literally, He says uh, in verse number 4, talking about uh, as we addressed in Genesis uh, on day 2, that He divides the waters from the waters and He creates this firmament to separate the heavenlies, if you will. It says, praise Him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens? It is believed by by one author for in an Answers in Genesis article that the um, the division of the waters is certainly here on the earth and the atmospheric, but then that the water even being on the outside of the universe of itself to hold all things together, this life-giving, this protection, this sort of canopy, if you will, over all of God's creation, which certainly does bring light to some extent because we go back to Genesis 1-2 and what is happening. The Holy Spirit is brooding upon the face of the waters, covering it, preparing it um, for life. That's exactly what God is still yet doing, protecting this life, His creation. And notice then in Psalm 148, verses 1 through 3, we find the heavens, his angels, the hosts, sun and moon, the stars of light. You and I get to see the sun, moon, the stars of light, don't we? You and I don't get to see physically or literally the angels or uh, these heavens in which he's discussing, but we find that this is covering a whole range of things that are far beyond our comprehension. E- even up into the sky where we see the heavenlies, uh, the, when we see the sun, right? Don't get to a staring contest, but it should certainly direct us not to worship the sun, but rather to worship the God who made the sun. When we see the moon, it should not make us want to worship the moon, but rather the one who hung the moon to give us tides, to help with our gravitational pull, Right. That's who we should worship is the God who made it, who formed it. As it says in this psalm, the one who established it, the one who commanded and they were created. God speaks, he commands and it happens. Then for more evidence of this, of the celestial heavens, Deuteronomy uh, chapter four, verse 19. It says. Unless thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven. And when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, right? notice that word heaven, the heavenlies, this celestial heaven, if you will. Once you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. We find here that God warns the people you will be tempted by these pagan nations that you're about to encounter to see the sun and to worship it. You'll be Tempted to see the moon and to worship it and the stars to worship it. You want examples of how it happens today Today in pagan cultures? There are still yet those who worship the sun god, as they call it. There are those who worship the sun. Why? Because if you take away the sun, we have no warmth. We have no light. So we're in darkness and we have no light. If we're uh, a mile closer to the sun, we're too hot, life can't happen. If we're uh, too far, life still can't happen. We see the importance of it. So they worship the sun, even still today in many cultures. How about the moon? Who worships the moon? Well, I'll tell you, Muslims do. It is the moon god, Allah, that they claim. That's why you see in Islam, they have the crescent moon and the star, because ultimately they worship the celestials. And that's why even for thousands of years, those in in Arab or Middle Eastern nations, they have been uh, math- and they have studied the stars and have been able to track and to trace and to explore and to navigate and to be able to know the stars and the, the galaxies and many different things that are, that are there. And they worship. How about the stars? It certainly happens today. Open up your local newspaper and flip it open to where it says it talks about horoscopes. You know what that is? It's pagan worship, right? Many in here today, even right now, even me, we know what sign we are, don't we? Right? You're this, you're that, you're that. And it gives you this nice generic thing to where you go, oh, that, oh, yeah, that's me. That's me. yeah. Why? You know why? Because it gives you generic enough to where whoever's born in between this time and this time could say, oh, yeah, that's totally me, yep. And then you look at someone who's born, and you know someone who's born another month, and it says, stay away from them. You go, oh, you know, we've never really gotten along. That must be why. You know what that is? It's fooling us, but it's also causing us to worship something that's not meant to be worshipped. It's causing us to direct our attention and give authority to something that has no authority over your life. I want you to know this. For something good to happen in your life, the stars don't have to align. Right? They don't have to line up and come together. And, um, now, there are some things, true, that when there's a full moon that people are a little crazier and it does affect these things. You know why? Not because it's a full moon but rather because it's the gravitation of that full moon, the things that it does to our bodies and to our minds, to a, the pull on ourselves that we don't understand. You realize this. There are things happening with our bodies right now that we don't understand. Right? Even literally because of the cosmos, that the world right now is spinning 1,000 plus miles an hour. We have no idea it's spinning. Right now the moon is doing its thing and the sun's doing its thing and all the other planets are doing their thing, and we don't pay them any mind. We pay them no attention. Why? Because we're to pay attention to the one who made them and hung them, the one who commanded and spoke them, and they were there. It was going to be a danger for Israel, and Israel would fall into that trap, but the sad thing is that many of us do today. So if you're trusting in your horoscope today more than you are, or you read your horoscope more than you do your Bible, shame. Quit reading the horoscope and pick up the Scripture. If you want to know what you're really like and who you're attracted to, not attracted to, who rubs you wrong, who doesn't, know this, all right? The Bible gives the answer. You and everybody else is just like you. Sinful flesh, sinful condition, and going to die one day. You're not going to get out of here alive, right? 100% chance of that. So you better be ready. And know this, you don't get along with so-and-so either because they're in the flesh or you're in the flesh, one or the other. That's it. It's not the stars. It's not the horoscopes. It's not this fat. Now we move on to the third heaven. The third heaven is of great importance. The third heaven is what is referred to as what we might call the the home of God. As Stephen, who is literally in the process of being martyred, taking his last breaths, he looks up into the heavens, stones still pummeling him, and he looks up and he sees Jesus, the Son, standing at the right hand of the Father in glory. I can't imagine what the throne, as Dr. Bowman used to call the, the oval office of heaven, the throne room of God, can't imagine what that looks like. I, I can only imagine that it is much like when God speaks, to let there be light that it is awe-inspiring, overwhelming, that it is much like the descriptions of Jesus and Revelation, that it is blinding, that it is so wonderful that we, we can't even begin to move. We, we don't even I don't even know what we'll do. I don't even know our response to it besides what we find in Scripture with others, is that we just go, I'm unclean. How in the world did I even get here? It's but by God's grace. By God's goodness, that I'm even in the presence of grace and goodness itself. But the third heaven, I want to give you a couple of key verses. First Kings chapter eight, verse twenty-seven. This is Solomon's prayer of dedication in the temple. First Kings eight twenty-seven tells us this: "But will God indeed dwell in the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens." How many times do you say heaven? Heaven and heaven of heavens. We've talked about the importance of three, haven't we? He says, cannot contain thee. So, now let's put that into what we've just been talking about. Can just the atmospheric heaven of our earth contain all of God? No. How about just the cosmos and the sun, moon, the stars, and our little old galaxy? Can it contain him? No. How about everything that ever is, right? It can't contain him. The Bible describes that his... Uh, that the universe or the planets, the, the earth itself is the footstool of God, of, the, of his throne. That is, his train goes throughout all of creation, throughout all of the universe, throughout the stars and the galaxies. We cannot begin to understand the, the gravity of who God is and his largeness, his might, his powers, authority over all things. As big as the universe is, which is unfathomably large, multiply that to the infinite God you and i the universe may itself be infinite but even that doesn't begin to ex- expound on who god is then in hebrews 9:24 another glimpse of what the heaven looks like it says for christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands which are the figures of the true but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of god for us hebrews here in chapter 9 gives us something very important we've talked about it a little bit in genesis What happens in the earth is a picture of heaven. So what God is doing in the earth is making a picture visible of you and I as his home, if you will. He's furnishing it. Right. And so the temple, what it did was to be the home of God. As we just read Solomon praying that prayer. Shall this place, the temple, be able to contain all of who God is? Now, God's presence certainly dwelt there. Why? Because he is the all present, ever present God. But he says it can't even contain him. And so then we find this scripture that is in chapter 9 dealing with the high priest going into the temple to make sacrifice. And it says that Jesus, who is prophet, priest, and king, it says, which are the figures of the true. But he's entered into the holy places, not made with hands, but which are the figures of true. It means what happened in the temple is a figure or a picture or a type of the heavenlies itself, of the home or throne room of heaven, of where God is now. So right now when I say, if you die and you're trusting Christ and you go to heaven, that's what we're talking about, this third heaven. Where Paul said he got a glimpse, a transport, the third heaven. John, here getting a glimpse in Revelation and seeing and being see these things. Then we see back in our scripture for day two. It says, and God made the ferment and divided the waters which were under the ferment from the waters which were above the ferment, and it was so. And it was so is key. God spoke, and it was so. It shows that God, when he speaks, it shows his power, his might. But it shows that he's sovereign, and over everything that he says, it is done. So if God says to Abraham, I will do this, that means he will do that. So we can trust God's promises from the very beginning here. Look verse number 8. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Evening and the morning were the second day shows the continuation of the literal days. God creates and it is so, meaning it happens. But notice what we're missing here. It's not declared good. Many of the other days say, and God saw it was good. How come this is not considered good? We talked about this with that first word good. And we're going to see it later on as God looks and he steps back, he says, that's good. And then ultimately, for all creation, he steps back and he goes, that's very good. Why is it? Because the word good means that it is pointing for the good of man or that it is meant for his good or for his ability to live, to thrive, and to rule over this creation. So what God uses the word good, he's saying, this is good for my creation. This is good for man. It is livable. It is profitable for him. And so he's making it and preparing it, but it's there, but not quite ready yet for man. What happens on day one, two, and three is preparing for life to come on days four, five, and six. Ultimately, six, the day of creation that Adam is formed and fashioned. That is the peak point. And that's why life does matter so much. It matters so much to God to focus and to create everything ultimately for this man if God cared so much about this one man who He already knew would disobey Him, how much more should we care about the man or the woman that is in the womb or in the nursing home? We should absolutely care because God cares. Furthermore, we see that this picture of good gives the picture that it is good for man to live and to thrive in this creation. We find that day two, what day two does is Shows God's power and His preparation. From the very few two verses in Genesis, <clears throat> we find God, God's power in His name, in His divine authority of speaking, and in His preparing. That He is preparing the, uh, as he, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. He's preparing for light, preparing for creation. That there's darkness, preparing for let there be light. Each day, preparing for the next. Day 2 prepares the separation of the atmosphere and waters so that day 4 and 5 can bring forth the luminaries of the galaxies and have a place for the creatures to fly above the earth and the open ferment, according to verse 20. We find that day 2 is meant, ultimately, for the later days to bring forth life. Tonight, if you have life, we should celebrate. We should live our life. I don't like to quote a certain gentleman with a last name that rhymes with Osteen, right? He said to live your best life now. We're not going to. But you know something? With Christians today, we've kind of stopped living. If we have life, we should live, shouldn't we? We're not called to simply just exist. God doesn't do what he does on day one and two in preparing for life and stepping back and not saying it's good. He's preparing it for it to be good, to dwell, to be inhabited, to be enjoyed. Look out. Wake up early in the morning, right? Wake up early in the morning and go watch a sunrise. Stay up late and watch the sunset, right? (laughs) Watch the earth. Do the dishes and look out your window and look at the birds. Watch the ant move across the ground and see life. Then squish it. <laughs> Maybe, right? It's up to you. I'll leave that up to you. But look at life and see what God has done. Why? Because this life, as God is doing on day one and two, is preparing us for the next. And that today counts for our eternal life and that we should long for that eternal life, but before we're there, we should live this one for that one because what happens in this life is to be a picture in preparation for the next. So what we see is when God divides these things and creates the heavens and the heavenlies and this division of the waters and the, this firmament, 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 this expanse, He does so to prepare for something greater. He does so to prepare for life. Tonight, I would encourage you and challenge you this. Are you enjoying life? Are you enjoying it for the glory of God as He made and intended you to? If not, start now. Why? Because we don't know when our life is over on this earth. Don't wait for tomorrow to start enjoying it. Don't wait for tomorrow to get things right with your brother or your sister. Don't wait for the next day or don't wait for your deathbed. Live today for the glory of God. See the light that He has declared. See the division which He's created that we live in this part of heaven now, but we're looking forward to the next heaven, the real heaven, the true form. Wherein dwelleth righteousness to be with our God forevermore. And we long and look forward to that. I hope as we go deep and we take our time, I hope we can really chew and understand how big and mighty yet close God is to us. That God, while he forms and commands these things to happen, they happen. He hangs the stars and the moon. He divides the waters and the air and prepares all this thing, but That same God wants to know you tonight. And that if you know him, smile about it. Enjoy this life that he's given. Enjoy the fact that you know that one day you will be in that heaven with him to enjoy an eternal life that we were always meant to enjoy without the curse, without sin, without tears, without goodbyes. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. Grateful for your word grateful for your goodness, grateful that we can just see who you are, that we can see that all that you did prepared for man, and Lord, that what you're doing now in in the earth today is preparing for something far greater. Lord, we might not like the things that are taking place in this world today they are certainly preparing us for the next and help us to long and look forward to that day, but while we're alive today, to live for today, to live today for eternity, for those things that count for forever. Know that today as we see it, just in this day of creation that we've studied tonight, that we would see your power and your preparation, that you were always a God at work for us, for our good and for your glory. Help us tonight to know you more, to chew on these truths, to to understand you more, not just that we would have heads that have facts about you, but that we would have hearts that have faith towards you. Lord, help us tonight as we go from this place to be used by you and for you. And Lord, we love you and we thank you once more for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a great night. Hope to see you Sunday. Sunday just might be full of surprises, so y'all be here.